Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, folks, today was further evidence of what we said with absolute conviction a couple of days ago, which is that Yelena Ostapenko is going to win the 2020 French Open because she either loses first round or wins the thing. And uh, today, well, a couple of days ago, she won her first round. So obviously everyone realised Yelena Ostapenko is going to win the French Open. And today she backed that up by beating the second seed, Karolina Pliskova. And how? She was extraordinary. Is the story that she was extraordinary or is the story that Pliskova was poor and disappointing again? I mean, it's both. Pliskova was poor and disappointing and made to look so one-dimensional. And even that one dimension was not great. Usually one-dimensional players, that one dimension is at least (laughs) tip-top. And look, Pliskova's can be, but... Not today, but she, all of her weaknesses were exploited by Ostapenko today. Um, I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe how good a, how complete a tennis player Yelena Ostapenko looked. She was a far better player today than I remember her being in 2017 when she won the title. Why? What was she doing? Because I didn't watch it. She was constructing points. She, she had patience and touch and court craft her drop shot was a thing of beauty she wasn't just you know the default narrative with Ostapenko when she starts winning matches is that she's just um hitting a purple patch and blasting people off the court and look she still can do that uh, and it's a joy when that does happen but she doesn't just pull the trigger at the first possible opportunity every single time because she doesn't she doesn't need to her her serve is still a a weakness that that could get exploited but not as much of a weakness as it has been i just i just couldn't believe what a what a complete tennis player i was watching today yeah i think the best ostapenko performance i've ever seen is still that french open final of 3 years ago but she looked a more well-rounded and more complete tennis player in this match today and i think that bodes very well for the future for her as as Catherine said I was so impressed by the movement and the defense because it allowed her not to have to just 
go for it when she was in defensive position. She could actually play defensive shots and she had a slice forehand. I don't know where she's developed this from, but she had a slice forehand that caused Pliskova all, all sorts of trouble. She didn't really know what, what to do off that ball. And um, yeah, loads of drop shots, good point construction, really really focused throughout. She didn't she didn't have any sort of lapse or loss of concentration. And even when she maybe didn't convert a break point, she then knuckled down and just made sure she converted the next one. It was a really, it was a really mature performance. And, um, you know, I think, of course, Pliskova wasn't as good as we know Pliskova can be, but it was a very familiar performance from her at a Grand Slam, which is why I don't think that's the story. I think the story in the future for Pliskova at a slam will be if she can get it together. If we keep seeing this all the time, it's it's not really that much of a story anymore. Yeah, our um, our adversary in the uh, newsletter predictions this fortnight, Grace, she got to go first yesterday with her prediction for today and she went for Ostapenko to beat Pliskova. And I think all of us in unison said, oh, I would have gone for that. You know, at what point is an upset not an upset? Because I think we all thought that would probably happen today because obviously Ostapenko is going to win the title. Um, mm-hmm. But but yeah, it's it's grimly predictable. And if, if it feels that way for us, it must feel absolutely horrible. Or I kind of hope it feels horrible, if that doesn't sound too um, sadistic. I hope it feels horrible for Pliskova and she's soul-searching. Um, Does she get a pass but, because of the injury at all? The, the one that forced her out of the Rome final? Was it a, a, a hamstring or a thigh? She wasn't wearing strapping again today. Yeah, I mean, I, she played it down herself, but we know players can do that. Obviously, Serena was playing down her injury. It doesn't doesn't always mean that it's not there just because they're playing it down. Um, she didn't look inhibited, so, and I don't think she said after that that was a factor. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just just another very, very typical Pliskova performance. A little bit depressing in a way, but I was so uplifted by Ostapenko. And I was thinking back to that 2017 run. I mean, I've always kind of put that down as a little bit of an anomalous Grand Slam result. But actually, thinking about it in context, that was the first Slam after Serena had had decided to break from the tour because she was having Olympia. And obviously Serena hasn't won the slam since she's come back. If if you think about it, that 2017 French Open was kind of the ushering in of a bit of a new era. And we've since had a lot of first-time Grand Slam champions, you know, Barty, Kenin, Osaka, Stevens. You know, so many players have won their first slam since then. And I think... Ostapenko thinks that she herself kind of inspired a lot of that younger generation to perform at slams and she's kind of seen them overtake her as as her level has regressed quite a lot and she's talked about you know really feeling a bit put out about that and kind of wanting to get back in that kind of mix and um, that is very encouraging words I think from her as well it's 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 a signal of a really really good positive place that she's in mentally I think. And in all seriousness, she plays Paula Bedosa next, who got the better of Sloane Stevens today. I went around early on predicting uh, <laughs> predicting the outside court exit of uh, former finalist Sloane Stevens. Uh, if she wins that, she plays Laura Siegmund or Petra Martic. I know Martic is no no slouch, but uh, 
you know, and if she wins that, she would play either Zhang Shui, uh, C. Burrell. Uh, if anyone can fill me in on the C, that would Clara. be great. Clara, thank you. Um, or Leila Fernandez or Petra Kvitova. You know, uh, okay, she wouldn't go in the favourite against Kvitova. I, I, but, you know, those are the players standing between her and the semi-finals. Mm, so although, paper. you know, I'm not saying... I am joking about saying Ostapenko is going to win this thing, but she needs to be in the conversation now yeah. in, in seriousness, I think. 100% capable. The fact she's already done it before and from what you're saying, she's a better player than she was then. And let's not forget, I mean, she's just described in her post-match press conference that she was fearless back then. You know, she just just went for everything and it, it went in. Uh that's not exactly how... I mean, the the sheer fact that she knows that now tells you that there's a lot more that goes on inside the head than, than, than it would have done back then. I'm just interested. I mean, I don't I don't know whether any, we can have the answers to this, but it would be quite interesting to, to think about it a little bit more and do some... talk to some people as to where this has come from, this improvement in form. Now, I remember late last year when... She was being coached by Marion Bartley, and we interviewed Bartley just after the Australian Open, and they were still together at that point. And she would, she obviously did some good work with her because she got her back in. In was it the Lintz final? I think. In fact, I think she did back to back finals. Um, and there, there was definitely something about Ostapenko that she seemed to me to be taking it seriously again, or, or, or fully engaged. And obviously, I know, I know she's had the the heartbreak of of losing her father, which was really really tough. Um, but she seemed then to be building towards something. Obviously, we've then had the lockdown period, but I think she's now being coached by Thomas Hogstead, who's mm. just moved. I mean, he's coached so many top players, hasn't he? I mean. Everybody, pretty much, at one time or another, has been. Yeah. He, he has coached on the feet in the women's he's, game. Uh, he's the ex that's announced his engagement the day after you, your breakup. <laughs> and uh, you know, and that was that was a sort of a surprise in a in the words of Laura Robson that uh, that he got together with Joe Contra in the first place, and then it's also a bit of a surprise just how quickly that's ended, and he's ended up in Ostabenko's camp. But, you know, talking to Judy Murray today on, on Five Live Sports Extra, she felt that he's the sort of coach that could really make a difference with a player like her. Just super experienced, not afraid to just put in some basics as to what he expects her to do and a couple of basic tactics and techniques. And I and I kind of imagine it would be in order, if this happens and you're defending this is what you do because I mean he coached Maria Sharapova for a long time there are certain similarities there okay Sharapova wasn't quite as go for broke but she became a clay quarter and that's remarkable given what she was and and I think just sort of short-term reasons so maybe why Ostapenko is is doing well is that she's very mentally fresh and not jaded she didn't go to New York for the Western and Southern Open or the US Open she said she's been basically playing on clay now for months. And I think it took her a little bit of time to build some form. She lost early in Rome, then went to Strasbourg and did did okay there. And now she's arrived at the French Open with, you know, sort of feeling comfortable with the clay under her feet and also not fatigued by this difficult world that these tennis players are living in at the moment. And, um, you know, we've 
we'll get on to a lot of players talking about the sort of stresses of the bubble and that kind of thing. She just hasn't had that weighing on her for as long as some other people in this draw, Pliska, for, for example. So Grace went first with the prediction. She went for Ostapenko. Congratulations, Grace. And then uh, we we seeded next spot to David because we we took pity on his his Not a charity case. on his I mean you really you really made yourself seem like a charity case yes you David had all that he had the full orchestra out not just the violin so we let David go next I was doing all sorts of emojis and then, to and try then and get some Matt sympathy. also talked him out of making what would have been a horrendous error of picking Clara Towson to beat Danielle Collins um, and paved the way, David, for your moment of triumph. Yeah, I mean, that's I'm the just kind gonna... of lad that Matt is, isn't he? Mm. But what is she doing, Clara Towson? I know she's only 17 and it's not all about me, but, I mean, you know, she was amazing. She'd lost before she David realised she'd taken to the court. Correct. I, I, <laughs> I, so, suddenly I'm looking down the drawer and what's, what's the name who's playing against her? Who was it? Daniel Collins is in the next round. And I'm thinking, well, what, what was the score then? Did she retire? And it turns out, no, she just lost 6-2, 6-3. And I'm thinking, hold on, you spent three hours beating my finalist, 9-7 in the third, is, is that not, and looking is, like is a world beater. Is that not exactly beater. why it was entirely predictable, David? Yeah. It's a tale as old as time, David. 17-year-old, unable to, to, to back up a big win because of the emotional and physical toll that And she qualified. You yeah. You said I need to let her yes. off. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> right. this was supposed to be my opportunity to give you a moment to, to gloat. Oh, yeah. But, so, but anyway, thanks, Matt. So, yeah, and, and in the end, I went for Fiona Farrow also because Matt keeps telling me how good she is. And, and frankly, had, I... Had you seen her play before today, David? I, I actually saw the Palermo mm. final that she won, but I can't say... Do you know, you know, sometimes you watch a tennis match and you really watch it, and other times you end up finding that you, you the match has ended and you must have been doing three other different things and you don't really know too much about what went on. And that's how I felt at the end of that Palermo final. I really wasn't concentrating properly on it. Um, so I saw bits of her win over Heather Watson, but it it also felt like Watson had played really well in that match. And, and, and so I'm kind of thinking about it through that lens. I went for Ferro just because Matt told me that she's really good. Uh, and I don't trust myself anymore, <laughs> to be honest. I've lost all my confidence, folks. I've got the predictions yips. and He, um, he got a really sad, sad figure yesterday. I was starting to get... I mean, I know this is, sounds silly, but I was really just doubting everything I thought. He was comparing uh, himself to Vince Spadia. Yeah, a 21-match really losing streak. Anyway, um, I watched the match tonight that she won against Elena Rabakina. And I loved the match. It was fantastic. I mean, Rebecca is six foot tall. She hits the ball so hard on the serve, the forehand and the backhand. But Ferro is just just one of my favorite types of player. Uh, just an athlete, uh, a thinker, creative, good. It, it, I mean, looks like good technically constructed ground strokes, ones that aren't just about slapping the ball and hitting it incredibly hard, but there's the shape and there's design behind everything. And she would, 
you can see her thinking a couple of shots ahead almost and setting things up and and she was having to do that in the face of this power coming at her and she and and also it was it was a really good atmosphere inside the Chatrier court all all the fans that were in the complex were in there pretty much cheering her on and so it did lead to some properly comical winners from Rebecca to stone cold silence <laughs> as a contrast which just i i felt that they were almost passive passive aggressive <laughs> silences but um no pharaoh went to break down right at the start she went to break down at the start of the third set and she found a way to win you're For me. you're glossing over those moments of utter despair david now that it's all ended up okay they are mere blips on your radar but at the time well, like when she went too low down in about four minutes, I, I just, I was, it just becomes here we go again. And I'm sure she was thinking <laughs> that too. I've it's all about you, more. isn't it, David? So is she going to be your, your, your girl now? Is she, are you going to, every other day, are you going to, well, you going to keep who's, playing who's black? she got next again? She's, she's got Patricia Maria Fig. Well, I'm backing her to but, beat her. Yeah, she's also in but form. Mm. She won Istanbul, right? Mm. So that is that is two very very in form clay quarters meeting in the third round. I really rated Farrah. She mm. she still David doesn't have a clothing sponsor, Fiona mm. Farrow. So you, she can wear. I, the I don't know what podcast. I'm thinking here. She could have sort of your name brandished across her chest. <laughs> oh my god, this is getting weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all the tennis podcasts, that would be less weird. This is getting Stephanus to pass weird. <laughs> don't you think that lack of clothing sponsor is one of the reasons why she's quite a fun player to watch? She's got a very relaxed vibe on the court. She's kind of mm. she's kind of bouncy and just up for things and she doesn't really look like she's playing in this ultra competitive Grand Slam tournament. She kind of looks like she's just gone down the gym, kind of with her tennis racket, and found someone to play yeah. with. And and she's also a really, really good competitor. It doesn't take away any any of that side of her game, but she's just she's just very easy to kind of relate to. And she's got a she's got a very quick, loose arm as well. She gets a lot of power on that forehand. Barty, in a way that that you get the sense that if you handed her a baseball bat or mm. a cricket bat or anything, she could just play it. All right, I'm sold. I'm I'm sold on Fiona Farrow. Um, should we stick with the women's for for a little while, seeing as that's where we are? Sophia Kennan won today against Anna Bogdan, the Romanian. David, you were you were commentating, covering this on the radio alongside Judy Murray. Um, it's kind of a, a similar similar story with with Kennan win, winning through sort of relying on her competitive instincts to to get her over the finish line she does seem as much as she's still doing her her strutting and stomping around the court and all of the the hallmarks of kenin are there there is also this sort of shadow of self-doubt that seems to be following her around which is which is disconcerting a, to see that in her it's a very different feel to what it was in australia and i mean obviously she won the tournament there but even if I go back on every other time I'd seen Kenin play before she won the Australian Open, it feels different to that as well. And it maybe maybe it's our perception of her, maybe it's what we know about her having lost six love, six love to Azarenka in Rome. But 
She, I, first of all, I thought she did really well to fight back from a set down against Anna Bogdan, who hits the ball really hard, the Romanian. But so it was, she, she played reasonably well, Kenan, to, to get into a winning position. But the, the closing stages were just an ordeal and an ordeal to watch and, a, and, a, and an ordeal for her. Very, very entertaining uh, at the same time because whereas we found it funny how she stomped around as though she just didn't give a monkeys about who who might be upset about our body language in Australia. In this instance, it was just so amusing to see her 40 love up, three match points, and suddenly she started missing and she missed four shots to 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 lose her serve or to or to or for the or for her opponent to hold right at the end. And so miffed was she that she hadn't taken these chances that thereafter, when she did all the right things and started hitting winners, she'd hit a winner, winner and immediately throw her arms up as if to say, well, why on earth didn't you do that two minutes ago when you had the chance to finish the match? Uh, and she was so hard on herself. Uh, I just see her playing so on the edge all the time. And, and what used to be coming across as just she's in every point and every match and therefore she's a real threat to all the big names. Now that she is the name, it ends up feeling like, my word, she's on the edge of combusting at any point here. And we know that she prepares for matches and she's in tears because she's got herself so worked up about what's coming and how much she wants to win. And, and that's what comes across. You know how much it means to her, but it's, it also makes me anxious to watch now. And I didn't used to feel like that. I don't know whether it's me. I don't know whether it's her. But that's what ends up happening. Yeah, if you'd screenshotted her face as soon as she'd won the match point, you would have thought that she would have lost the match. She didn't. She didn't look particularly happy at all. And then it was slightly awkward when the first first words of the on-court interview were "great match," and her face was saying <laughs> it was as though she felt the exact opposite about the closing stages. I think she was quite pleased with her overall level in the match but just because those closing stages were so vivid during that on-court interview it, it, it sort of tonally felt a little bit strange she uh, she plays Irina Barra now of Romania 25 year old 142 in the world I know nothing about her but there's a lot of Romanians in the draw aren't there in the women's draw they've got real depth these days um, but yeah that I mean, obviously, that feels like a massive opportunity for Kenan. But on the other hand, I kind of think that's a bit of a nightmare for her. It just ramps up the pressure, doesn't it? She's a Grand Slam champion facing the world number 142. She is 100% expected to, to win that. And I don't think that's the ideal situation for her just at the moment. Um, but- and again, I think the the fact that she she's the classic case of the hunter becoming the hunted, but in her mind more than anybody's. It seems, and and that's where I, I think there's work for her to do to to just adjust to this new situation. And and actually, was I mean I don't know her opponent either at this stage. We'll we'll read up on her. We'll watch her play. But it's one of the lovely things about this event is the number of players who've made a real breakthrough here. Players ranked 150 in the world. You know we we think of um of the uh, Egyptian player that we saw. 
uh, after a couple of days of the tournament against Pliskova, and and there, there are many of them that play a bit Coco Golf. The, the, these are great stories and and people to find out about, and um, and it's our opportunity to learn about who they are. Did Muguruza play today? Yeah, she, she won. did. She beat, she beat Christina Pliskova. Ah, yes. Okay. So yeah, that was uh, straightforward, plain sailing. She's through. And she faces Danielle Collins. What's she going to make of Danielle Collins? Oh, that, that could be going to find that? Of, that could be aggro fest. Do you remember that match she played against Mladenovic on Longnen a couple of years ago, which ended with the finger wag? From Muguruza, yes. Yes, that's, that's I think right. it was 2017 mm. when Muguruza was playing as defending champion, actually. She was knocked out by, by uh, Mladenovic and there had been... It's not a sort of perfect comparison, but Mladenovic, I think, had indulged in some slightly Danielle Collins s antics, and Muguruza certainly engaged the crowd, didn't she? Yeah. And, and 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 worked them a little bit, and so it doesn't take much for the French crowd to get on the opponent of the one that they are cheering for, and then when they sort of tried to give her a round of applause as she departed the. Crowd, the court, she wagged her fingers as if to say, no, no, don't try and get around me now. It was a really get lost. epic Roland Garros finger wag. <laughs> there have been, I think, two two epic Roland Garros finger wags that I can, that are in my memory anyway. The Federer one? Yes, the Federer finger wag and the Muguruza finger wag. They're both and Epic. and didn't um didn't Muguruza also say something like oh I've heard that she speaks twenty five languages in the press conference afterwards just kind of slightly <laughs> taking a little dig at at uh, at well, Kikinovic Sora Irani esque mm. <laughs> uh, Sabalenka won today over Kazakina seven six six love and Ons Jabur uh, straight sets over now Hibino so Jabur will play Sabalenka. Could there possibly be a greater contrast of styles than that? Maybe a sort of Nicolescu, Sabalenka. But anyway, I'm very much here for for Jabir, Sabalenka. That sounds great. Yeah. In fact, a lot of these sound great. Collins, Muguruza, um, Petra Kvitova against Leila Fernandez. Leila Fernandez seems to be happening. You picked the wrong youngster, David. Yes, all the other Canadians are doing very well in this tournament. All the ones we maybe didn't expect. <laughs> yes, so moving on to other Canadian fortunes today, we have lost the number nine seed, Denis Shapovalov, playing as a, a top ten player for the first time well, in his career. technically no. Yeah, because he lost his top ten ranking a week after he got it because uh, oh, Bautista Agu without- did something without even doing mm. anything Bautista who's got it back I think he's the top I think he's a top 10 seed here but he's yes he's the number nine yeah, seed oh but he, uh, he has unfortunately lost well, that top 10 ranking <laughs> <laughs> well he's he's lost a lot of things this week because uh, he's lost in the French Open in the second round uh, in five hours to Roberto Carbeos Baina how close to an accurate uh, pronunciation is that Matt yeah pretty good uh Carabayes Baena. <laughs> oh, crikey. That's not very good at all. That's all right. Wish you'd told me that before I said his name about 50 times on the Carabay- radio. Carabayes Baena. Nailed it. Thank you. Nailed it. Okay. I spent the whole of those five hours thinking, oh my God, I'm going to have to properly learn how to say this name. Bloody hell, Dennis. <laughs> um, so Carabayes Baena. Only just got Shapovalov. <laughs> 
Um, well, you can forget Shapovalov because he's gone. Uh, five hours. Um, a di- uh, let's deal with the match first because we've had some very interesting comments from him after after the match. How I I, I dipped in and out of this one. I, I watched the deciding set. Um, I watched his two seven volleys from thirty all serving to stay in the match and and thought what what on earth is he playing at here? What was he playing at for the whole match? What was the story of that match? Well, like you, I was in and out, but the bits I saw, Shapovalov was really struggling to hit through Carbaez Baena. I mean, he's he's a kind of player, the Spaniard, who I find a little bit a little bit hard to talk about without sounding really patronising. Because he's one of those players who you would kind of describe as a maximizer and making the most of what he has and really consistent. And those things are all true. And he has an incredible attitude and a kind of relentlessness to his game. But in comparison to Shapovalov, he is limited as a tennis player. Shapovalov has a lot more options in his game. And frankly, the match was kind of on his racket. Um, But this was not totally unexpected based on Shapovalov's recent form in Grand Slam matches. I hadn't quite processed the fact that he keeps having really long matches at slams. He hasn't had a straight set to either loss or win since last year's US Open. It's now nine straight matches, all either four sets or five sets. So he does he does have this tendency to get involved in length, in lengthy matches. Um, he was He was quite frustrated today, I thought. I don't know whether it's a new thing or whether I'm just noticing it for the first time because of the lack of fans, but he's incredibly vocal between points, kind of really shouting at himself. And I don't know whether this is, as I said, something that he's doing more recently or whether he's always done that, but I kind of got the sense it was a more recent thing. He cut a, he cut a frustrated figure on the court and we'll hear about his kind of general mental state at this tournament. He's, he is frustrated and, um, I think he was also a bit annoyed that he with the conditions and he couldn't hit through Carbias Bayena and he didn't like the heavy ball and the and the and the slow damp court and it just didn't really suit him and I think in total he hit 106 unforced errors you know he was he was trying to play the match on his terms but he just didn't didn't have his best tennis on the day and he was very close to winning he served for the match twice in the fifth set didn't manage to serve it out, there was a controversial moment involving a call that he thought was out, and the umpire came down and called and called it in. And Shapovalov has since put up on Twitter a screenshot of of, of the Hawkeye that was used, I think, on American TV broadcast, showing that Hawkeye thought the ball was out and saying, "When is Hawkeye going to be used on clay now?" That's. I'm, I'm not sure he wants to really be getting involved in that topic. I think there is a genuine reason why Hawkeye is not used on clay because it is not accurate enough. I know they are developing Fox 10, I believe, to be used as an electronic line calling service on clay, but Hawkeye at the moment just isn't accurate enough. But I think it's just representative, that tweet, of a very, very frustrated Denis Shapovalov. Mm. And you, you asked the hard-hitting questions... Matt, here is uh, here is Matt and Denis Shapovalov post-match. I think you came to the net over 100 times today and I noticed that you served volleyed on the last couple of points of the match. Just wondering what was the thinking behind that strategy today? 
I mean, it's impossible to hit a winner with these balls. So figured I might as well come to the net because it's just not going to sit there and play a 10-hour match. Um, yeah, that's honestly why I was coming in. There's just no point to, to stay from the back. Um, I think you said earlier in the tournament that you didn't want to talk about the French Open bubble compared to the US Open bubble until the end of the tournament. Just just wondering on your thoughts on that now, whether you could explain explain the differences and which yeah. one you preferred. Yeah, honestly, I think they're not doing a good job. You know, there's there's really no bubble, <clears throat> especially in the second hotel I heard. Um, you know, scheduling is absolutely awful. I mean, I have to after a five hour match, I have to play doubles now. It's just like it's just complete trash scheduling. Um, it's disappointing. I mean, you're in a Grand Slam, and I don't want to sound spoiled, you know, but it's just you expect at least some some help from 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 the tournament to you know to help you compete. I mean, how am I supposed to? come out and play doubles now after a five-hour match you know they could it's a first round as well they could have scheduled it way better way easier I mean it's just it's it's not acceptable um and the bubble as well I mean it's just there is no bubble you know you can you can leave the hotel you can go to the city there's no problem there's nobody stopping you so it's uh New York was done way better Matt Roberts the king of the gentle grilling Perfect, perfectly phrased and pitched questions. Matt. Yeah, great job. so so great. Um, and he wasn't. He didn't even need prodding into that, did he? It was all there. Mm. It was all there, waiting to come out. It seemed to me like he was waiting for someone to ask him that yeah, question. I mean, I didn't mention the word scheduling. Enter Matt Roberts, and he went off on this on this rant about it. As you said, it was he was obviously waiting to get it off his chest. Yeah, but before we drill drill down into our reactions to to what he's had to say there, um, there were some not dissimilar comments from Alexander Zverev last night. Um, he finished late last night, came into press after we'd recorded. I think. Um, but this is what he had to say about uh, the bubble. I think he was asked to compare it to, to New York. He said, yeah, you can't compare the bubble. You just simply can't. New York, I feel the tournament, because that was the first, they wanted to impress us players. They wanted to do something amazing, which I honestly think they have. The hotel was obviously not a five-star hotel, but how they've done everything in the lobby, everything with the games, with the golf simulator, with the basketball, with the mini golf. All right, Alex. With all the different kinds of entertainment stuff, how they did the outside area with massive screens, how they did the food trucks. Every day, a different food truck. <laughs> how they did just everything. It felt like a massive camping trip with all the tennis players. The on-site stuff was amazing. Obviously, the suites helped a lot, how they did everything on-site. The entertainment on-site was quite incredible as well. The spacing was incredible. Here, nothing really has changed to a normal tournament except that there is less people. We still have our players' areas. We don't have the entertainment that we did in New York. The hotel is not really a bubble. There are other guests staying there. In the room next to me, there are guests, regular guests staying there with souvenirs every single day that they come, you know, from the Eiffel Tower and stuff like that. <laughs> I love that he's nosing in on, on what what tourist souvenirs his neighbours are coming back with every day. I mean, it it's pretty clear there isn't really a bubble. I don't know if the FFT ever called it a bubble i don't think they have to be fair uh, yeah un, un, un boule. Boule. Un boule, yeah um because it is 
it's not a bubble doesn't have any of the defining features of a of a bubble um what what was your initial when when Shapovalov said what he said Matt what was your sort of initial reaction to it well slightly you know he's just come off the court and he's lost these are going to be quite emotional reactions probably so this is probably the sort of extreme of how he feels about it um but I thought it was interesting because you know most of Zverev's comments were about the stuff that was laid on for the players and how that isn't the same at the French Open and yeah no food trucks yeah, no food trucks no mini golf no basketball if if you want to win that ATP 500 event of, of the year again David food food trucks <laughs> yeah Food trucks at Queen's. Noted. Um, So I thought it was interesting that Shapovalov talked more about kind of the safety element of it and his concerns about people coming and going. And so there's clearly kind of two two pronged issues that players feel about the bubble, the sort of not having enough to do maybe in the bubble. And that's probably a a bigger concern for the players on a day-to-day basis. But sort of realistically less of a concern in reality. I think the comments about people being able to come and go and those are quite concerning, I think. And especially if, you know, if it's all on the players to take the personal responsibility, you know, it's possible that Mm -hmm. if a case comes in later in the tournament, there could be serious issues in terms of jeopardising whether these matches can even happen. So they they made me slightly uneasy about the next few days ahead, knowing that, it's possible that players are not being very strict with themselves in terms of maintaining social distancing and kind of trying to maintain some kind of bubble, even if there isn't an official one. Mm. I, I think I, I think some of what he said does sound spoiled, but I also think he absolutely has a point. Um, I think it's one of those things of it's a bit like when you lose because of an injury you probably it's it's just sort of unwritten that it looks bad to come in and say you've lost because of an injury and it it must you know hurt to kind of have to suck it up um and uh, from a journalistic point of view i'm very grateful that he's said mm. what he said um because i i want to hear about how the bubble is but from you know if i were his pr person i perhaps wouldn't be delighted that he said that because i think bits of it Bits of it do sound a, a tad spoiled. I think the scheduling stuff about, you know, having to play doubles after a five-setter. I mean, it is not unusual to be scheduled to play your doubles match after your singles. I mean, that's what you're that's what you're signing up for potentially when you enter the doubles. And that's why no top ten players play the doubles. Well, exactly. And so, you mean, know, no, no one told you to play five hours, Dennis. Um, so yeah, I think I think that sounds just kind of whiny. Um, it's just emotional on, yeah, the, on the, in, yeah, for, in the moment. Totally, forgivably whiny, but that kind of detracts from some of the quite important points that, that he was making there. And all of them really echo what we've been trying to put our fingers on about about why this feels so, so different to, to the US Open. And while the US Open was embracing being a Grand Slam in a, in a pandemic, the French Open is seemingly ignoring being a grand slam in a pandemic well, and making... I think it's I think it is trying to be itself but with whatever restrictions they've placed on them and and it and doesn't that kind of just fit ultimately with their own respective identities they actually go if you think about it because and and actually if you look at all these events the same thing Wimbledon 
has a, a conservative and thought through process of having had pandemic insurance so it didn't need financially to run itself it i mean and it couldn't anyway i know that it couldn't but it ends up giving lots of money to all the players so that they're all looked after that's very wimbledon the 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 us open still wants to have this the show and it wants to be able to make the players go wow uh, and and it has the space to do it as well that's the other thing the french just open just doesn't really it's not too bothered about that. I mean, I think its view is we're putting the tournament on. This is our wonderful tournament. You turn up and play or don't. Those are your choices. But there's an incoherence, isn't there? Why have they, on the hotels front, they've been stricter than the US Open. They have said everybody, no matter how big a superstar you are, even if you're prepared to pay for your own security, etc., you have to stay in these two designated hotels. What is the point of that? if those hotels are just open to, to anybody and not not any kind of bubble, what what is that achieving? It doesn't seem coherent to me at all. And as much as it will sound spoiled for multimillionaire tennis players to be complaining about that, I think they absolutely have, have a point. I mean, I, look, I, I agree with you. And to me, the common sense thing to do is to create a bubble and to do it, I guess, more like the US Open did it. I think where I would probably come down on this is that if the French Open gets to the end of the tournament and they've not had a big COVID problem, and fingers crossed that is the case, based on those comments from Shapovalov and Zverev about the the measures that are in place and the fact that they're not as strict as the US Open, I would kind of feel like maybe they've got a little bit lucky with it all. Whereas at the US Open, I, I felt fairly confident that they were doing absolutely everything they could in terms of maintaining safety and keeping the event as secure as possible yeah it, it is going to be interesting isn't it we've also had the 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 stories breaking that that fernando vadasco intends to to sue the the fft um i mean that's it's just words at the moment um but but he has signaled his intention to to do that um over his uh, removal from the tournament and i think that's something that uh, Demir Jumher was talking about as well. But obviously that's kind of a, a watch this space situation. I've read the sort of uh, the the skeleton of his argument of, of why he thinks uh, he's got a legal case. But um, yeah, well, if if the moment arises, we will drill down into that in, in some detail. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello tennis podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. 
being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. We had Novak Djokovic, the top seed, playing today against Ricardis Barankis. What were Barankis's odds prior to the match? Matt? They were 33 to 1. So had David elected to go for Gamble Big on Barankis today, he could have earned himself 330, 330 points. But he yeah, decided might, not to go big on Barankis. I, I might have had a, you know, about a 10 minute period of feeling <laughs> how great it would Imagine be. Imagine what that graph happened. would have looked like, David. <laughs> it might have pointed uh, up and everything. Yeah, but I commentated on that match and he, I mean, it was just not remotely competitive. Djokovic, again, for the second match, just looked fabulous. He looks so focused right now. Um, there was one little moment where he smashed the sole of his shoes with his racket in frustration at m- missing uh, and knocking the clay out but I mean he just generally I mean and it, and it may be partly because just the the opposition he's had so far Brank is very similar to the first round opponent Mikhail Immer good players just they don't have the the tools to hurt him but he just looks really focused and ready and determined actually determined to I think probably it's it's a manifestation of of the old resilience of things having gone against him in his mind, which they did in in the US Open, his own fault. But I think he wants to put the record straight by coming and winning this thing now. I think he's, if he'd have won the US Open, I think he, I'm not so sure he would look quite as granite-willed as he does right now. He looks as though he, he wants to win this as much as I've ever seen him want to win something. He looks absolutely determined mm. to to go and take this. Mm, that's really interesting. The uh, looking at the top half of the draw, I think the only player, only other player left in it that I would give even the slightest chance against Djokovic is Sitsipas, who was very good today. Discuss. I'll just quickly jump in with one more name before David talks about. Sits a pass because I know David watched that match with a big smile on his face. Um, <laughs> and I think you would have to say Bautista Agu would have a bit of a chance against Ooh. Djokovic given because of given the head to head and the way he can he can match Djokovic for consistency from the baseline. And I think he can frustrate Djokovic. I certainly wouldn't be predicting him to win that match, but I, I would say he has more of a chance than anyone else in the top half of the draw, bar probably Sitsipas. Yeah, I think those two names. Do you think he has less of a chance, sorry, do you think he has less of a chance on clay than he would on a hard court, even though Djokovic is better on a hard court? 
Yes, I think so. I think all of his wins maybe against Djokovic have come on a hard court. Um, yes, so I would say so. I think Bautista Gu is a better player on a hard court as well. And a hard court helps helps him get the most out of his game in that matchup. Um, whereas I think maybe Clay would be a decent surface for Sitsipas to play Djokovic on. I was watching Sitsipas today and... It was such a different experience watching him today compared to that first round. He seems to have settled and adjusted to the conditions and it was a reminder of how how well his game does actually suit the clay. He's got time on the ball and it doesn't uh, doesn't really impact his slice backhand, which I think is, whenever I watch him on a hard court or a grass court, I think that shot can really get exposed. But on clay, he doesn't really have to hit that so much and He's he's physical and strong, and there's just there's just a lot to like about his game on clay. And um, yeah, he was he was really great and in control today against an opponent who is a very good clay quarter in Pablo Cuevas and pushed him pushed him much closer in Hamburg last week. So I think Sitsipas has maybe kicked on another level to what he was showing in Germany even last week. Yeah, and he he needed today to be straightforward. I think after after what he did a couple of days ago, a couple of nights ago, really, because that was a really late finish for him, wasn't it? In his first round against Munar, he plays Bednay next. I'd expect him to come through that, and then it's. Do you know? Do you know who could be lurking in the fourth round, David? That we've not even talked about. No, who's that? Grigor Dimitrov. Oh He's still in the tournament. For who? Who would Grigor Dimitrov play? Well, Dimitrov now plays Karbayes Baena. I only asked because I wanted to hear you say that again. <laughs> How was it? How was it? Great. Sounded good, that. Uh, and the winner of that would face the winner of Sitsipas Bednay. Oh, that would be really good to watch. So so we would have had Dimitrov Shapovalov uh, as a rematch from the Rome match. Yes. Um, but we but he, he won straight it. sets, didn't he, uh, Dimitrov, in his second round match? Um, yeah, it would. Uh, I mean, look. After failing to remove his trousers, it all. It all, really? it all got better from there. What, what was that? He had that classic incident of not properly undoing the zip on his tracksuit trousers and thinking he could get them off over his shoes. And he was he was doing them once he came onto court. He was sat down in his chair trying to take off his tracksuit trousers and the umpire called for the coin toss. So suddenly, not only was he struggling to do it, he had a time pressure to try and do it. And that just made things even worse. He got in the right tangle with it. And then he walked to the coin toss with one one leg in his tracksuit trousers <laughs> and the other leg sort of stuck in them and sort of continued the process of trying to remove them while the coin toss was was going on. And the, the, the only thing that saved him was that he slightly styled it out on the end by not falling over while he was standing on one leg trying to get them off. That was the only thing he really panicked, that wasn't though, relatable. Didn't he? Oh, totally. He really panicked by getting up for the yeah. the coin toss. We all know that moment. It's like uh, it's like when you get lost trying to find your way out of a turtleneck, <laughs> and there's a split second where you think, "Well, I'm just going to be stuck in this forever. My life now is uh, having my head in the sleeve of a turtleneck." Uh, <laughs> I could see that moment for Jim Shaw. He was like, "Well, I'm going to have to play the match with one trouser leg on," um, but uh, luckily. Luckily, he found his way out of that pickle and uh, he won very straightforwardly and is still in the tournament and we're not talking about him, but we have just Relax. talked about him. Yeah. Um, but I would like to see Sitsipas Dimitrov, please. That would be great. With all due respect to Karabayas Baena. That's the last time I'm doing that today. 
Uh, Rublev won today. He plays Anderson. Does anyone think Rublev could trouble Djokovic? No. Well, I I'm really impressed with him. I think he's he's he did in, he did incredibly well to get through that match against Query the other day. I, what a fighter he is, Rublev. He's got a great heart. You know, it's not some he's not a player that I don't I feel like I've taken a huge amount of notice of over the years because he's he came along and then he disappeared with ill health and and probably his body was a bit too young for what he was trying to ask of it and now he's just built his game up and I, I think I always think back to that match you and I Catherine watched in the pub together in New York last year when he beat Kyrgios in straight sets that that match will always occur to me with with regard to him oh I miss pubs yeah and New York <laughs> yeah, they're quite good aren't they yeah, um, I miss everything about that sentence curious yeah. I, I like the <laughs> I, I, I would say that I, li- I like the the way he goes after the ball he sort of I don't think he beats himself before a match unless it's downhill Medvedev on a hard court in which case I don't think he's got a chance so and and I'm not I'm trying to work out whether whether Djokovic on a clay court would also cause him a similar problem but I think it would still probably sit up a little bit more for him to have a go at the ball and he's got the the necessary violence in his game to hurt most players so I'd actually really like to see that match if he would have played well him against Djokovic would be a good match your dreams could come true David, because I don't think there's anybody standing. With all due respect to Christian Garin, Karen Hatchinov, uh, Galan is Djokovic's next opponent. Yes, I'm looking up the first name. He seems to have two initials: Daniel Elahi Galan. Yeah, he's the chap who beat Cameron Norrie, ah, and then yes, he won straight sets today. I think against Tennis Angren. Yes, uh, so that is Djokovic's next prey. Uh, and then it would be Garin or Hatchinov, and then we'll see after that. Tomorrow's order of play is a good one. This is the, the, the most exciting-looking order of play we've had, I think, so far this tournament. Kasper Ruud and Dominic Team first up on Chatre, then Halep against Anisimova, a replay of last year's quarterfinal. Caroline Garcia against Elise Mertens, and then... Uh, Stefan, Steph, Steph, what's the first name here? Travaglia. Stefano, I think. Stefano. I was going to say Stefano, and then I thought, oh my God, am I just assuming that all Italians are called Stefano? No, Stefano Travaglia against Rafael Nadal. Uh, Longlen is Svitolina against Alexandra. She belts the ball, does Alexandra. Vavrinka against Gaston H. Hugo. He, he's the, uh, yeah, he's the only. French man left in the draw, and I think wow. he's ranked somewhere in the two hundreds. It's not been not been a good wow. tournament for them, and this was also the first. Just getting all my French facts out of the way. This was also the first time they haven't had a seeded woman at Roland Garros. I think since I think since the late eighties. So it was you know it kind of wow. gives you a gives you a sense of where French tennis is at the moment. Other I than still Fiona think of Caroline Garcia is. So, I still think of Garcia as a seed because it's ludicrous that she's not utterly ludicrous. Um, Vavrinka against Gaston then, and then it's Zverev against Cecchinato. That could be interesting, very interesting. And then Siniakova against Kiki Burton's Simon Mathieu. We've got Bouchard against Sviontek, Lorenzo Sonego and Taylor Fritz. Norbert Gombos against Diego Schwartzman. 
and Martina Trevisan against Maria Sakari. Uh, elsewhere, anything of interest? Yannick Sinner. Uh, he faces Federico Corre on court 14. Just keep a little eye on Yannick Sinner, I think. He's doing things. He might be happening. Um, and he's an, he's a bit Rublev-like, isn't he? Very live arm, wiry. You're sort of looking at him thinking, mm. where does that power come from? Yeah. No, um, it's, it's actually it's a very similar type of physique and power. Um, I'm just looking at I think I've slightly misunderstood. I thought Rublev was a quarterfinal opponent for a... For Djokovic, and he's actually a quarterfinal opponent. It would appear for Sitsipas. Yes, but um, but yeah, he, I mean, so even if Sitsipas didn't make it, and, Ru, and Ru, I don't, I, I'm, I'm wondering about Rublev and Sitsipas because they played that final in Hamburg, yeah. didn't they? So there's there's all sorts of mental baggage galore. Yeah, there's we love plenty that. of drama to come and, this and, week, isn't there? And and it's Berrettini or Berrettini or Roberta Bassista are good. Are the are the uh, likely options for Djokovic uh, in the quarters so I think that's it for today David uh, I don't you, you're not going to get the uh, the courtesy of going first in the predictions tomorrow not now you're on a big roll I'm back <laughs> the comeback is on um yeah, so take it. Go and take a long, hard look at the order of play. Unfortunately, now you've got there's more pressure. It's a different kind of pressure, but you've you've got something to lose now. So, you know, we'll see. I'm, I'm, it's a, it's all about mindset. Mm. And now, and now I sort of uh, don't I, do I, I a Kenan. Like, I feel like I'm on a roll. <laughs> Yeah, it can <laughs> a one prediction roll, one day roll. Uh, we wish you well for tomorrow. David, um, but we're we're showing no mercy now that you've got your one victory. Uh, we hope you're enjoying the podcasts. Uh, I'm sure if David were presenting, he'd say, "Tell your friends." So you know, tell your friends, exactly. um, and leave us an iTunes review. That's something I never never say to do. Is it? Leave us an iTunes review. Uh, tell your friends, uh, and you know, tweet about us, uh, TikTok about us, um, anything you like. Really? That's, that's, that's something just, I've never said. <laughs> I don't even know how you do that. Uh, just keep enjoying the tennis podcast. We hope you are, and we'll be back for another one of these tomorrow. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. 